Hello, this is Comeback. This is Connor. This is episode 165. My guest today is a South African currently living in Da Nang, Vietnam. It is Johan Falk. He is an actor, voice artist, teacher of communications, drama, and the founder of Da Nang 101. We're going to discuss a range of topics today, and I'm really excited for this one. Johan, welcome to Comeback. How are you doing, man? Thanks, Connor. Thanks for having me, man. Really cool podcast. And congratulations for the amount of them that you've uh, you know, <laughs> produced up till now. Really cool stuff. Thank you, man. It's the main thing that's keeping me busy throughout this crazy period that we're in right now. Awesome. What number is this? This is number 165. Wow, man. Good job. Great stuff. Love podcasts and love what you're doing. Awesome. Cheers, man. Before we get into the work that you've been doing, do you mind telling me a brief bit about your background? You're from Cape Town in South Africa, is that correct? Uh, not entirely. I grew up on the, in the countryside uh, in a little town called Robertson. I know you you interviewed Clive Pendock uh, two podcasts ago before you uh, interviewed Ethan. He's from a town called Worcester. So we actually grew up like about 30 kilometers from each other, which is quite interesting being in, in Da Nang at the same time. Um, so yeah, I grew up in this little small town in Robertson, which is mostly known for its wine where you know like as a as a country kid you grow up like barefoot mostly and you're quite rough and tough and stuff like that and you know uh you fall in love with sports because that's pretty much the only thing you can do and then eventually we moved out to paul which is more renowned for its culture and like a big rock that looks like paul and then um, eventually moved to Stellenbosch is where my parents met and uh, Stellenbosch is like a university town outside of cape town uh, that's also mostly known for its wine culture, its its you know its heritage, its theater. It's it's very Afrikaans in a way, but it's uh, like nowadays it's a bit more universal, and um, it's it's kind of like an academic hub and a cultural hub for uh, the Afrikaans um, culture in South Africa. So yeah, and Stellenbosch is absolutely beautiful. So I was lucky to, enough to to grow up in really nice places. And uh, yeah, and I, I was also lucky enough to get a break in theater uh, when I was 15 years old. So that started my theater career. Uh, basically, I, I knew from day one when I went on stage that, you know, I want to be an actor. I want to be, I don't know, I just want to be on stage. I want to perform. I'm a performer. And pretty much that's the only thing I'm good at. Wasn't good at maths or, you know, any of the serious stuff. And it, it kind of fitted the bill. And um, yeah, eventually studied drama in Stellenbosch, went to a really cool school there called Paul Ruiz Gymnasium, really cool school in, uh, in Stellenbosch, one of the best. And um, yeah, and then yeah, studied drama. And then we opened up a theater, a boutique theater, my mother and I, uh, when I was about the age of 21. And since then, you know, I, I've basically been very active in the South African uh, theater, entertainment and arts community. I did a little bit of everything. Uh, I mean, I started out as a as an actor, a stage actor, and then eventually you do presenting and you do voiceover work. And having a theater, you also kind of fit all the roles from director to the to the um, to the lighting expert to the uh, to the MC to the you know all tech all the stuff to the cleaner to the bouncer. I was even you know I was a trash guy. You have to do everything yourself. And South Africa isn't a place where if you're in the entertainment and arts industry, like, you, you know, you're not going to get like rich from it. You got to kind of like um, constantly work. And then eventually by the age of 28, I just realized I spent way too much time in one place. And uh, I, I knew what it was about. Like I had a lot of fun doing it, emceeing a lot of rock festivals, some of the big ones in South Africa, like Opikopi, Ramfest. 
Um, I was involved with a lot of cool stuff, man. And I, and I, I couldn't focus on one focus on one thing. I kind of wanted to taste a little bit of everything. So I, you would see me at all the gigs, you would see me emceeing pub bingo and, you know, just get involved with as much as I can with the South African entertainment and arts community. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to pinpoint one thing because I was literally doing a little bit of everything. And uh, a lot of my friends are quite well known in the, the industry back home, but um, I kind of just like stayed below the radar. And then eventually when I kind of started going above that radar with a, with a beer ad, I did a national beer ad and, and I got a role in like a famous soapy, um, you know, that's when I kind of decided, listen, man, if I don't, if I don't go travel now, if I don't go see the world now, I might not be able to do it ever. So yeah, I took the gap at the age 25, I mean, 28. And uh, that was supposed to be a two year plan until I'm 30 years old. And now I'm 35 and I'm still in Vietnam and I, I love it, man. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, we are going to talk more about Vietnam and particularly Denang. But before that, you mentioned that when you were growing up, sports is quite big based on the you know, countryside area you were from. What was it about theater that really appealed to you? You know, how did that all start? Did you get, I don't know, acting classes one day and think, oh, this is something that I fancy. How did that all come about? Well, contrary to popular belief, I, I believe a lot of actors uh, are actually more introverted in nature than people expect them to be. Um, because, yeah, so in my, in, in my case, I grew up pretty reclusive. I, I was very antisocial, but I loved performance. I felt like that was like an outlet for me. So as a kid, I was lucky that my mother studied drama before me. My father was a lawyer both pretty good public speakers. Um, I was raised with good public confidence, but when it came to personal issues or, or myself and my contained solitude uh, is where I kind of like, you know, drew back more. So I, I love drawing and things like that, but I love characters. So for instance, uh, people should check into this because it's quite interesting. What kind of toys do you play with as a kid? Do you play with cars? Do you play with action figures? Do you like building things? Because a lot of times that dictates what you are going to be interested in as an adult. And I was interested in action figures and especially the ones that who were flexible and who could take on any kind of character. So, um, so the first time I was on stage was obviously doing like kindergarten shows and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, it just made me feel alive. But, but the thing about sports coming to theater is like rugby is quite big in South Africa. Every boy grows up with rugby and it's everyone's dream to become a Springbok. As you know, we're world champions. And, um, and basically it's all performance. It's a performance thing, like kind of like owning up to, you know, like measuring yourself, you know, like trying to be better or, or improve yourself to, to the best of your capabilities. But also you do obviously get a bit of a kick out of, you know, people watching you progress or watching you do your thing. And um, so by the time I was 10, I, I loved dancing. I loved singing. Uh, I wasn't a good singer though. Still not a good singer, but good at dancing, good at acting, good at like, I, I love doing orals. I didn't get nervous for orals. Other kids were, were, you know, freaking out. And I just love talking. As you can hear, I love talking. So um, eventually, yeah, that's kind of what I decided uh, to do. Like, I started with poetry as a kid. Yeah, and I, I guess it all started with my mother reading books to me as a, at a ver very early age. And growing up in that small town, like, most people, most Afrikaans people there, 
I, I call us the Amish of the world, basically, because I guess um, not a lot of them are as, you know, proficient in English as you'd like to think. And I, I just loved books. I loved literature. I loved fa fantasy and fiction was my escapism. And it still is till today. And I guess that drove me towards like more of a, a character thing, like a, a escapism aspect, if you think like, yeah, like, like performing and yeah. And I, I guess also it's got something to do with imagining how someone else is. It's kind of like being an empath in a way, like being able to pay respect to towards something that might be able to exist and to do it as convincingly as possible and be true to that. So I just fell in love with that whole process of unbecoming as an actor, um, something that's really interested about interesting about acting. And then the real big break came when my sport career ended with a big injury I had that sent me into depression by the age of 15. And I dealt with a disease called um, yellow jaundice right after that. And I was doing terribly bad at school because being an absolute jock at that time, like your whole identity is based on your sport and and your position and all of that stuff and i was quite i was doing quite well i was excelling but at that point i was like so depressed and then an audition came up for a play that was associated with a big name director at that time martinez Passon from south africa we literally learned about him in our theater history as we were being uh taught by him which is also amazing and um anyway so i went for this audition and i got this audition and my co-actor is the most credited actor in South Africa internationally at the moment, whose name is Greg Crick. He's in Hollywood. He's producing very cool stuff. And if anyone goes and researches Greg Crick, you'll see that he's been in amazing series and movies. And he's just a diehard actor. Like he, and, he, and he's in Hollywood. And he was like, he's going to Hollywood. And I was like, well, you know, I, I don't think that's realistically uh, realistic thinking even, but he made it anyway, long story short, I'm trying to get to the point. Basically. Yeah. That's where I fell in love with acting. And I realized I was able to make a career out of it. And um, then I just continued from there. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of the work that you've done has been based off relationships with other people. Do you think getting into acting and becoming an actor has helped you in relationships in perhaps stepping into somebody else's shoes and seeing their perspective, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. I mean, I was 15 years old at that stage and I landed a lead role in that play, playing a 19 year old dealing with the death of, the death of his mother, the alcoholism of his father, um, you know, sexuality issues, you know, sexual identity issues. Like this play was really, it was called Anakandiyat and it had a lot of, topics and issues that actually at that stage a lot of us were too young to kind of digest but as we went through this acting process and we were guided by this guy called Andre Bester who is the director of the play who basically wrote this play because you know it's just a story of his life um, it was it was crazy man because we had to do so much emotional growth in such a short time span and we had to wrap our heads around topics we never even considered, you know, uh, sexual identity in 2003 for a 15 year old boy from the countryside who only knew uh, things about sport <laughs> um, was quite hard to kind of digest. Uh, but we did 39 performances. We traveled the whole country. We played through, we played to sold out crowds everywhere. We did really well. And 
man, it was like, it was like going from the age of 15 to the age of, let's say 21 in like, you know, a few months, um, dealing with all those things and dealing with our director who was a, a super sensitive, but super present man. And he wanted us to understand what we are dealing with and, and be fair to those themes. So yeah, man, acting is an unbelievable thing because it's actually about unbecoming who you are to be able to become what you are not, but to do that convincingly, to literally put yourself in someone else's shoes. You know, it's, I think that's why actors are being made such a big fuss of sometimes, or that's why they get paid so well, or that's why they win Oscars mostly for biographies, because that is like the big magnum opus for an actor. How well can you empathize with someone who actually lived? Doesn't matter if they're a good or bad person in your mind, you've got to be sincere and authentic to, to that other being. So it's, it's I, in my opinion, it's a very um, admirable thing to do and to be able to pull off convincingly. Uh, because if you're playing someone with a condition and you don't do it sincerely, that someone out there with the actual condition will be watching your film or watching your performance and they'll be like, nah, it's not like that. So you don't want to disappoint people and you also definitely don't want to insult people when you do it. So it was almost like there was this big expectation on us to do this really well. Um, and we did, we did come out the other side with a lot of cool techniques, acting techniques and experience. I mean, Greg is the absolute proof of it. We kind of went different ways, but Greg became, he's actually like, I mean, he's the real deal when it comes to acting. Um, I kind of went the more, communal way, communication way. Like for me, it, uh, what was really interesting was there's something behind it that made me deal with life better, if you know what I mean. Yeah, of course, I think I do. And with that, how did you make the transition from being an actor to becoming a teacher, which is what you're currently up to, I believe? Well, I think most teachers will tell you that and I don't know if you're a teacher too, um, but you kind of like, like there's that whole thing about the masks we wear every day. Every day we put on different masks for different, you know, situations or people or whatever. Um, your teacher mask is pretty much a performance. Uh, you've got to be up there and you've got to, you've got to be the teacher that you needed as a kid. And uh, you want to, you don't want to waste anyone's time. You know, you want to, you want to keep them interested. So for me, it wasn't a big transition. Um, in fact, it was, it, it felt normal as daylight. The only difference is obviously the content you're dealing with, right? So you, me being a drama teacher and I've, I've done different forms of theater uh, genres. So one of them was children's theater. And uh, obviously like you learn how to be more animated and you know, you know how to grab people's attention. I'm not an ESL teacher anymore. Uh, right now I'm only teaching drama. So that's a lot of fun teaching what you love, you know, teaching what you're passionate about. And I've done a lot of workshops like that too. So yeah, man, it's, it's, it, it wasn't a big step for me at all because I think a lot of teachers would agree that it is a performance. You've got to, some days you don't feel it, but you just, it's not about you. It's about your, your learners and you gotta, you gotta rise to the occasion. That's that, what, that's what performance is about. Yeah, of course, man. And now let's move on to Vietnam as a whole then. Do you mind telling me you've been here, is it five years? Uh, since 2015. So yeah, it's about six, going on six. Yeah. Six years. And uh, we have spoken before, but when was Da Nang? Was Da Nang quite early on in this six years? Well, Da Nang, I arrived in 2015 and uh, my summer holiday 
the first place I came to was Da Nang. And, uh, you know, at that time there was nothing here, basically no big, big buildings on the beach. And, but I was already like, wow, man, what an amazing place. It was renowned for its tourist attractions at that time, but I already had my eye on it. So I would come back like every now and then just to visit Wayano, Da Nang, as everyone do when they have like a little break. I, at first I traveled Southeast Asia, but I was always, I had my mind set on Da Nang. And by 2017, it was kind of the year that I was supposed to leave Vietnam, go back home and go back to reality as my father would say. <laughs> um, but instead I decided to come back here and give myself a year in Da Nang for my 30th birthday. And that turned out to be, well, five years. And that was since 2017, yeah. Yeah, and do you mind giving us an overall picture? I have been, but for anyone listening who has not been, what's it like Da Nang as a place and what's it like living there? It's a bit of a paradise. Da Nang is, you see, everyone who comes here for the first time, like something lights up in them and they're like, people get ideas. Some people jump the gun a bit too far. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much. It's the perfect little city. If you ever play SimCity or Tropico or any of these strategy games where you build a city, this is the city you want to build. It's one of the, I think it's the only really planned city in Vietnam. Like the roads are really big. It's, it's really convenient. Everyone's like, you know, less than 15 minutes away from the airport. Um, I've, I've done this actual interview about the Nang a few times, and I always have to mention the amazing nature around the city, you know, like waterfalls, you have like over 40 waterfalls to choose from. Thanks to Cameron Munez and Tony from denangwaterfalls.com. If you want to check that out. And then you have like Santra, which is this peninsula nature reserve military base with this amazing mount a mountain and the monkeys, like the rare breeds of monkeys they have there and these old shipwrecks and like secret beaches and um, uh, snorkeling spots and little resorts with pools on the beach where you have the whole beach to yourself. And, oh man, it's, it's just phenomenal. You know, it's really like, I can't get enough of the Nang. I'm totally in love with this place. And then it's just so convenient. Like I'm also lucky enough to live walking distance from the beach about two, like, let's say uh, two blocks basically. And, and it's just the best thing. I mean, that's the kind of, I don't know about most people, but for me, that's kind of like, I don't know how life can get any better than that. When I was in my darkest times, I imagined a place where you can just go out your front door in your, your briefs in the morning, walk straight out of your front door to the beach, and you can go for a swim at any time of the night or day. And you can come back and rinse your feet, take a shower, relax, and just enjoy the fresh air and the nature. And, and Da Nang's like that in terms of environment, you know, and the traffic is not too bad. Well, that's if it's not tourist season. And obviously with COVID, there is no tourist season. So that's actually quite nice for us living here, not dealing with that amount of traffic, as you do in Hanoi or Saigon. And also because the roads are bigger. And then obviously, I mean, I can't talk enough about the Nang. Uh, in, since 2017, a lot has changed and, and it's been developing really well. I mean, it's pretty much going to become the, I almost want to say the Dubai of Southeast Asia. That's what it feels like they're going for. And um, they've got a lot of cool attractions. They've got, you know, the Asia theme park here. They've got Banna Hills up in the mountains with a golden dragon bridge. That's like the most Instagrammable thing ever. 
and uh, you know you've got all these like water parks with their hot water stuff and you've got amazing hotel service you've got amazing massage services uh, you can get any type of food now that you want from the world in denang like in 2017 there wasn't so many western out outlets but right now you can go you can you can eat anything from anywhere in the world so it's amazing and um it just it's just a place that people gravitate towards and and kind of like want to make a living here because it's just so convenient like everything's close together everything's like a five minute drive away people are super nice how can they not be i mean they live at the beach you can't blame your environment for your circumstances when you live here and that's kind of what drew me to denang was like okay well if you live there bro like you have nothing to complain about you need to you need to improve yourself then you know you've, you've got to take responsibility for anything that you feel is lacking in your life um, because coming obviously from south africa we do have our troubles we do have our challenges and um denang was just such an amazing place to to start a new chapter and to start clean you know if if hanoi and saigon is the parties then denang is the place you go for your hangover <laughs> uh, I love that analogy. Yeah, I mean, Denang is the perfect weekend getaway. For example, I've only been, I believe, twice now, but it's extraordinary, and I'm looking forward to coming back as soon as this hectic period subsides. Yeah, man, you should, and let me know when you're down here. Yeah, definitely, keen man. Now, there is one part that of the show that I always like to gravitate towards. It's the comeback aspect, so the challenges that we faced. And um, you mentioned that when you were going through dark times, you imagine that period of going to the beach at your front door. You also touched upon it earlier when we spoke about uh, when you had an injury and fell into some depression. Would you mind telling me a bit more about some of the challenges you faced in your life and career to date and how you've come back from those? Oh, well, it's, it's you know, it's a as you know I, I think most people know this it's 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 never only one thing it's an accumulative thing of it's a whole bag of things of complications and you know confusion that you deal with like we, we we're all just trying to make sense of reality if you know what i mean like people we're just all trying to get through this <laughs> as best as possible you know without hurting ourselves or anyone else in the process you know but it's it's very hard to 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 get that right you know it's it's not everyone has you know, not, not all of us are born into the position where everything just comes easily, even though some people always think it does, but it's it, nothing is as it seems. So, you know, I can't mention growing up in South Africa without mentioning political um, problems, you know, like every country's got them. And I think most people are aware of political problems, problems in South Africa. And, you know, growing up with like um, that kind of atmosphere sometimes, you know, like racism and things like that, like, yeah, that, that confused me as a kid, like straight up to when I was an adult. Uh, I think that's when I started kind of, I was always a little bit aware of the dark side of life. I always, like, I was, I never fitted in really. Like, I was always a little bit on the side and, and more like, I don't know, held back. Um, and also, I don't know, it's just, I guess I was bullied when I was small. So that was, that was a start. Um, but obviously there's also a lot of good things. So eventually sport became my life. Sport became my identity. It was my thing up till the age of 13. And then I got this big injury and then, um, oh my gosh, then I got introduced to 
what I call infomercial Christianity, which is like, you know, uh, if you've seen Borat, he goes to work, uh, to visit one of those like very extremist Christian religious uh, institutions, you know, where they where they do all these things where people shake and speak in languages and stuff. And, and I got involved when I was about 15 and I'm not always sure if that was a good thing, but it, it, it did, did kind of like, uh, you know, fit the bill at that time. And I'm glad I kind of got back to my senses thanks to my uh, philosopher, grandpa, traditionalist grandpa, which was a great guy. And uh, yeah, so, but I was still depressed dealing with that play, dealing with all those issues. It, it wasn't always lighthearted. It was quite tough and dealing with your own personal life and also not feeling like you're allowed to feel bad is also a weird thing that I think causes more depression. Like when people say, oh, you know, it could have been worse. Yeah, of course it could have been worse. But if you've read Man's Search for Meaning, Albert E. Frankel, like pain, pain is pain, man. Like you can't measure people's pain. Like when you lose something and someone else loses something, like that's the same pain, you know, and doesn't matter where you're coming from or what class you're in or you know any of that stuff pain in your mind pain in your heart and your soul and your body is pain and I had to learn how to manage it and when I had this disease called yellow jaundice by the age of 15 the doctor make made a joke and he was like well because I wasn't allowed to eat proteins I was only allowed to live off of uh, apple juice and water and like thin spread marmite on toast and he was like yeah the only a fun thing you can do is smoke coming from a like, doctor and I was like well fuck it I'm gonna I'm gonna smoke <laughs> right yeah. and and uh, yeah man I smoking I, I just loved it <laughs> and it was obviously not good for me and I never would be able to return back to the level I, I did sport on after that um, but it was yeah I mean I don't know if that answers your question but that was the age of 15 and then from there you kind of like try and stick your life together um, and then also going into the theater industry becoming like a bit of a, a pseudo celebrity by the age of 15 and then suddenly going back to being a normal high school kid was also weird because you know now you're just you, you've got all these extremes up extreme ups and then these kind of like extreme downs and you kind of find other stuff so by 16 I was I was going out in Stellenbosch drinking. I was like, I was in school, but I was partying with the university students. I, I had three different identities. You know, I faked my age, my name and all that stuff. I, I skipped school um, to the point where my father was like, well, okay, well, either you drop out or you pay for yourself, but I'm not paying for you anymore. And so I had to pay my own school fees or drop out which I did and just started working as a bartender at the bars I was drinking at before. And that kind of changed my perspective on alcohol. Life from the other side of the bar looks different. And, and that's why I always say for anyone uh, growing up and going through hard times, working in the service industry is not a bad thing, man. You learn a lot of life skills working in the service industry. Um, so the younger you are and the, the quicker you can do that, do it. Even if it's just for the experience, be a waiter, be a barman because uh, your eyes will open up to how people really are and, and can also show you like the good and the bad of, of how to you know, carry yourself through the world and how to talk to people and, and what people's needs are and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, this was, I don't know if that answers the question, but now we're talking about, we just went from my 15 year to my twenties, but I mean, if we're still on the same topic by the time but when I was doing drama, obviously now 
like i'm not gonna lie about it like everybody smokes weed <laughs> or most people do so eventually you get to that point and and that kind of you know also all these substances all these kind of like outlets social outlets if you don't have the right guidance or mentorship or someone telling you listen man like get back on the on a healthier proactive path like find out who you are find out what you want from life and and chase that put your energy into that you'll be you you won't need to do all these other things but obviously when you're young and ignorant you kind of like you know you know you know the best for yourself and you kind of just go through making mistakes your 20s are there to make mistakes i think like it's a good thing to make mistakes in your 20s because you'd rather make them in your 20s and your 30s or your 40s and um I always tell, I, I call it, get your demons out, you know, um, make sure you get your demons out in your twenties and your thirties as, as, as soon as possible. Yeah. And by the time I was, yeah. And then I don't know, man, like it's a weird thing to talk about. It's the first time I've spoken about it publicly and I've only acknowledged it a few years ago, but I think the first time I addressed it mentally spiritually and physically was when I made my move to Da Nang because for the first time in my life I felt like I've got time space and I'm in an environment where I don't have to watch my back and and that's where I think Vietnam is so good to so many expats because you know financially you can survive on the minimum so you don't have to put that strain on yourself to you know what you can start focusing on things that that is you know important to you instead of all these worldly things all these expectations from the world you know people never get to address the more important things in their lives because they have to fulfill all these expectations um so i just decided at the age of 30 listen man like you've got to give yourself time to figure stuff out yeah and um i think it all started when i i being an actor i also lost a lot of my like when I was 20 and being in the entertainment industry, you drink a lot and you party a lot. And I went to all these festivals and stuff and I, and I had a really bad um, health routine. Well, actually I had no health routine, but I ate bad food and I drank and being in the service industry, like, you know, you're partying and smoking and all this stuff. So by the time I was 27, there's a series on Netflix called black sales. Um, I did action extra work for them for three seasons even though no one will recognize me, I look like a pirate. Um, <clears throat> the first role I got in that series was uh, a butcher that had to stay on land and like slice up animals, which really, it was the stinkiest role ever, man. And I was like, what am I like the bigger pirate here? The more like, you know, like what? I want to be on the boat, swashbuckling, you know? And that's the first time I went to go see a personal trainer. And I was like, listen, man, I've tried and I don't, I hate gyms. I hate working out. Like, just tell me what I need to do to get to the level where I'm happy with myself. Like, I don't care what it takes. And then I totally fell in love with weight training. And yeah, man, a year later, two years later, I went through that whole physical transformation thing. And that kind of like set the, set the bar or set the basis for self-improvement because i was like wow man if you can do this to your body what can you do with your mind what can you do with your your financial status what can you do with your um your soul basically what can you manifest in a way because manifestation i hate that word because people think it's some sort of magical thing you do with your mind and it's like the secret but there's a lot of truth to it you know like i it's we are human beings can't survive without visualization 
And I, that's what I learned at that stage. I was like, man, if you can visual it, you can do it. And for some reason, I didn't know Da Nang existed at that time, but I already imagined the place. Well, put it like this. I was imagining and dreaming and trying to manifest the life I'm living now, six years later. Right, okay. Yeah, so you think there is something to that where, although you weren't aware of a place like Da Nang, because of the intention of the thought, you ended up there in the physical realm. Yeah, if you want to put it like that. I mean, there's so many levels on how to discuss these type of things, you know. Um, and, and, and I guess it, it depends on people's perspective of reality. But in my perspective, it, it, like, it all came together. And it just, it, it, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm still a bit nuts or whatever, but it feels, you know, it's synchronicity in a way. Yeah, for real. And with that, then we've mentioned, you know, the physical transformation. You mentioned reading earlier in the conversation. Are there any other practices that you do to stay on top of your game, i.e. meditation, yoga, dancing, anything else in particular that you go to to keep you on top? Well, I think that's the beauty of acting too, because to be an actor, the exercises you do to stay acting fit or stage fit or performance fit is very therapeutic. Studying drama was an absolute blessing, man, because you do everything from a yoga course for six months to physical movement like I, i've covered all of that and it was part of my four-year degree and i was so happy um you know interpretive dancing anything you can possibly imagine that has become really popular in places like you know thailand or all these expat hubs um you know they are brought there by artists who's, who's followed some of these things and I was so lucky to experience that kind of training at that time. The only difference was my mind wasn't ready to know how to implement them to improve my life. I was just doing them to get the degree, right? <laughs> so, so it's so weird. I took a whole sabbatical from that world. And I guess it was all because I was too egotistic to understand that you've got to start from the ground up. You can't just go out there and ex expect people to know what you're talking about. You got to understand these concepts and by the time I came here, I was on a total sabbatical. I didn't want to do acting. I didn't want to do theater. But when I came to Da Nang, I realized I've got so much tools in my pocket that I've forgotten about. And one of the, but the only thing that I really didn't know much about at that point was meditation. Um, so I joined the Art of Living because the Art of Living has been around for years and years. And, you know, they're not just some people who, you know, started some retreat somewhere in Thailand. They're a massive organization that's done an amazing humanitarian world. Uh, I mean, work for the world. And Sri Sri Avadsankar is an amazing guru, an amazing humanitarian. And it just like, I was totally sold. I was like, yeah, man, I don't care if people call it culty or whatever, like some, for some people it might be. But for me, it was just exactly what I needed at that point because the art of living entered Vietnam and my teacher Prakash, um, he's down in Sa uh, Vietnam, in Saigon, um, uh, Art of Living Vietnam. And that's when I learned how to do proper breathing, which I also learned in theater, but this time why we breathe the way we breathe. So breathing was the first step. And then obviously then when you add yoga to breathing, then, you know, then meditation becomes effortless. Because when once you get this, so it's a whole process, you know, some people just do yoga for yoga's sake, some people just do breathing, some people, you know, the Vim of breathing and then get into the ice and some people just do meditation with like apps or whatever. But 
in Vedic knowledge, and you probably know this, or most people know this, um, who take it seriously is, you know, you do your yoga, you do your breathing, you do your meditation. And it just, it, it changed my whole world. It changed my life right there. And then I, I quit doing any kind of substance. I, I loved like coffee, meat. I went vegan. I went, uh, I, I quit everything that was toxic to me, even people. Um, yeah. And, and it just cleared my mind. So yeah, I love doing uh, pranayamic breathing. I love doing Sudarshan Kriya is the most amazing breathing. Um, Sudarshan Kriya Pranayama. Um, and what else? There's another one that I've forgotten about the name. Uh, but yeah, those are, those are the big ones for me. Those are the main techniques. Okay, man. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in more of this. And I've actually reached out to uh, the art of Vietnam living. So hopefully I can have a discussion with those guys soon and get into their insights because it's really interesting stuff. And as you mentioned, it can change your whole world where oh. your life exists inside your mind. So to well, that, you change everything. Well, that's it, man. Like people are looking for... You know, there's a lot of yoga instructors out there. There's a lot of life coaches out there. There's a lot of psychologists, motivational speakers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when you want to go into the essence and the understanding of what this human journey is about, and you go back into scripture of Sanskrit, you know, this predates, you know, we're talking about Sumerian stuff, you know, <laughs> like Vedic knowledge is the most, it's, it's, it's the most amazing tool for i mean it's science in a way it's not even a religious thing it's it's more like science that just have has myths and metaphors with it and when you go into that it just it makes perfect sense man and and also the art of living teachers most of them i've been through like six or seven different teachers that taught me the happiness program is where people start it's amazing and none of them have under 10 years of experience and these people are from India, man. They know what they're talking about. You know, it's not like they just did acid once in Thailand and decided to, you know, get a man bun and Ellie pants and have a silent retreat. Yeah, for real. So with you that, know? yeah. So with that, Johan, um, what I want to do now is go slightly back to Da Nang. In terms of, you know, we've discussed your drama in terms of the other creative projects you're up to, uh, let's talk about Da Nang 101. You are the founder of that. What is that all about? Because I've recently stumbled across it. Da Nang 101 is the information station for expats and travelers coming to Da Nang. So it's a way, it's a platform that we use to get out um, the, the word for whatever's cool out there in Da Nang or what's happening. Uh, because pre-COVID, uh, Da Nang was quite thriving with a really cool, uh, you know, explosion of, of expat energy and community togetherness. You know, like you had the chat with Ethan from Dog Dancing. Uh, that's something that started um, last year. Uh, same with Da Nang Go. That's a volunteering company that you can go out and do something and, and get involved with humanitarian work. And then there's um, the oldest one in Da Nang is probably is Force for Compassion, which is amazing where you work with the animals and things like that. So there's all these different like organizations and movements that started in Da Nang. I started the Da Nang Drama Society, which is like, obviously we did free workshops, me and my friends uh, who also study drama and we just, made it we opened it to the community to free of charge and let people come and join the workshop and you know just experience 
drama and and everything that goes with it like theater acting and the unbecoming of of self and and you know taking on different characters and helping people with their confidence and their communication and that led to the job i'm doing now which is i'm a teacher at moonada performing arts academy uh, but anyway long story short th that's what keeps me legal here and gives me my residency card and i'm extremely blessed so thank you hang Nguyen. i love you and i love moon art i have to give them a shout um but yeah so the nang had this explosion of artists and and all these people bringing things to the party and my friend and i so i'm doing voiceover work professionally too and i was doing a mock voiceover uh video on facebook because i was promoting some events and I basically said, hey, Danang, welcome to Danang X. Welcome to Danang Expat Radio. This is your host, Johan. And this is what's happening this week. On Monday, we got blah, blah, blah. On Wednesday, we got this. You know, and I kind of mocked it up. But then a lot of people thought it was for real. And they were like, bro, where can I get this expat station? And I was like, <laughs> well, it doesn't really exist. And then one of my friends, uh, Jimmy Lan, who also spent time in Saigon, he's Vietnamese Canadian. Um, and Jane Karma, he's my colleague. He rang me up and he was like, <clears throat> bro, like, listen, I've got an idea. We need to do this. And then uh, Klangabaza Bengu from South Africa, also a good friend of mine, he was like, yeah, man, let's get the music scene involved, uh, the electronic music scene in involved. Because at that time, AM to PM events was quite a big thing. They had weekly parties at amazing rooftop pools and, you know, all this stuff. So, and the workshop, I can't talk about the Nang's um, community without mentioning the workshop. Shout out to Chris McBride for kind of bringing the whole thing together. That's actually a whole story on its own. And you have to, if you ever get the chance, talk with Chris McBride, because man, there's so many things we haven't spoken about, like in, in Hanoi Quest Festival started by um, Mark Harris and Ginger Works and Paul, Luke, uh, Luke Paulson and Malcolm Duckett. And there's all these names and then Chris from the workshop in Da Nang and how that artistic collaboration exploded. Um, so there's so many amazing stories and it all came from people who are kind of like expats who, who kind of covered the basics of life. You know, they're not into materialism that much. These are people who like to be proactive and like to work in the community and have fun and do artistic expressive things. So Danang 101 tried to kind of like take all of that, podcast included, as well as media that people create, as well as short films. Uh, I've got a few short films up there now. And um, yeah, and interview people to kind of like just find out what this new identity of Danang is all about and share that with the world and, and, and promote that because we are so, those of us who are invested in this community in Danang, we know what we have, we know how privileged and blessed we are and we wanna share that with the world and we wanna create that and, and you know, help to build the city to its fullest potential. And Danang 101 was created in order to play a role in creating that it was a total proactive uh positive move <clears throat> because we also felt like we wanted to have a place where we can share information and cool projects with people uh without having to deal with expat pages you know that sometimes can get a bit toxic yeah for sure no i do love that idea and with that have you had any particular highlights so far any moments that have made you really glad that you went for it and started this movement with Danang 101? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I can't take all the credit for myself. Like I said, um, uh, James Karma, uh, Jimmy Lan, he was he was involved. Um, Bengal was involved. So the first video, we've we've got over a hundred videos on our Facebook page right now, and we we only kind of like start. We we haven't really done YouTube and Instagram that much, but um, it, if you go back down all our videos on on our Facebook page, the first interview is a podcast interview with six of us all from different kind of like angles from the Da Nang scene. And we just had a chat and we just came out of lockdown that time. And the first thing that was that happened was a big charity event that everyone was involved with and the whole community showed up and we raised an enormous amount of money for the flood victims in Da Nang or in, in Quang Nam province. And that was just such a, yeah, that was just such an amazing thing to come together. So for me to have that chat and to be, in the middle of that, like it's it's something I'm passionate about. It's something I'm proactive about. But it's definitely not. It it sometimes it might look like it's about me, you know, uh, like it's me or my way of promoting myself. But actually, the Nang 101 for me is kind of like a service that I want to deliver. I want to promote and boost the industry, the the community here. So we we definitely we we promote dog dancing. We promote the clubs. We promote the hotels. Obviously, there's a lot of business um interest in it too you know in terms of potential any movement like we just want to we want to be the dubai radio of the name excellent i love that and i suppose that brings me to the next question which you have touched upon which is where would you like to go in the near future what would you like to achieve this could be related to your work as a drama teacher or with denang 101 what would you like to achieve going forward johan um, well, I mean, the plan, every, we live in a time where everything's uncertain, you know, financially, everyone's taken such a plummet. And uh, I had it all sorted out for me. And I don't want to share my sob story now, because everyone's got one and everyone, some people have it way worse. But yeah, like, I mean, like, obviously, a lot of opportunities went down the drain. Um, most of the positive aspects were, were all based on pre-COVID, like now we're facing the worst lockdown we've ever had um yeah and kudos to you guys especially to you for making the best out of it down there in saigon um so it's hard to say what the future holds but but the thing that i hold on to is the fact that my skills and my growth and the fact that i've got something to give um is what keeps me going you know i've got i've got things to share i've got i've found for instance i started an improv group and i've, I've realized the power of improv therapy and you know how much that does for people in terms of confidence and self-development and um, communication. Um, so looking forward, I, I was very lucky that my friend Greg, who's, well, he's doing really well in Hollywood now. He rang me up a few weeks ago and he was like, hey man, we got you in mind for a, a role, an international film that they've already got uh, some funding for and they just won the LA Film Festival with it. They, I, I think it's the same company Oh man, I forgot the the name of the production company, but they won the Venice Film Festival. They've been at Cannes and they're some of the most young up and coming directors and producers, film directors and producers in the world. And they were like, hey man, we've got a role for you. Um, we've got you in mind for a role next year that they're shooting in South Africa, a chapter. And, uh, and I'm keen, bro. Like, I mean, this is what I've been waiting for, you know, like I love the work I do, but if I could, I would just be an actor and only be an actor, you know? Uh, because that's I, I feel like that's the only thing I would rather be good at um, but 
so that's, I mean, that's a good thing for the future, but it's so uncertain because over year I'm living this life where I get to teach what I love. I get to work with people I love. I get to live in a place that I love and I get to mingle with people who I love. Um, and it's almost like it's, you know, I can do both at the same time, hopefully, but, oh man, it's so complicated to say. And I, I don't think I'm the only one here. I think everyone feels a little bit uncertain about the future, you know, but yeah, if I go forward, if, if I end up back in South Africa, depending on how the company sorts all of these visa things out, then um, yeah, I'll probably just go back into the industry I left in because, you know, I would probably go for the same audition I would have gone for if I'd never left South Africa anyway, you know? Um, so, so I guess I'll just, that, that's what I am, man. I'm an actor. I'm, I'm a performer. I'm a communication. I'm a drama teacher. That's, that's what I, I, I love this quote by um, Stephen Fry. We are not, nouns we are verbs and i'm a verb so i have no idea all i know that all i know is i can verb if i need to <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i love that i love that to be almost a closing message where can we find out more about you and the work you do on social media oh man i've been terrible at uh self-promotion in that aspect but um denang 101 has got a short bio of all of us uh, on the photos and then um, obviously, like I'm on Instagram at, at Joe Falk, that's J-O-E-F-A-L-C-K. And you'll see all the photos and the spots in Vietnam. Um, so, yeah. And then the Da Nang Drama Society, which is not a big entity on Facebook. And uh, Da Nang Improv, uh, which I'm also a co-founder of. Um, yeah. And, and mostly that. And then, yeah, I mean, if you go into the archives of what I've done, I guess there's a few videos on YouTube out there. There's a few interviews like this one that I've done about Da Nang or uh, Vietnam in general. And hopefully by next year, you know, like you can, um, I'll have my IMBD um, uh, uh, profile up because I also uh, did the voice coaching for the award-winning documentary called Vietnam Fast Forward that was produced mostly here in Da Nang. And it's an amazing documentary on Amazon Prime. And I, and I, if anyone's interested in Vietnam and to know what it's about and what, it, what its future is looking like, I would really recommend watching Vietnam fast forward on Amazon Prime. Sounds excellent, man. Before we wrap this up, Johan, any final thoughts, anything you want to add before we close? I don't know, Connor. Uh, I hope I didn't speak like, I mean, I don't always know what to say or wait, like, are you happy with all that information? Yeah, absolutely. man. I thought it was great. And I wish you all the very best going forward. I'm looking forward to seeing where Denang 101 goes. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm really excited to come check it out and come and check out Denang again. And once I do, I'll hit you up and we can have a beer on the beach or something. Awesome, man. And, and thanks for having this great initiative. The comeback is better than the setback. I really love your podcast and I love listening to all your guests. And yeah, keep on going strong and we'll definitely promote you on Denang 101. Looking forward to it. Cheers, Johan. Cheers, bro. Take care. Have a good